told us that is the wife we married. Okay? So, now, tonight we're going to go into some, dive into some stuff. Pastor Dike, can you sit down beside them there, please? Okay, questions that are, I would, I would talk, to, talk about questions there. You hold those questions, please. Over the past three, three, two days, we have been having fantastic time in, in marriage, talking about marriage seminar. And you know, one of the things that I would say about this is, really, the, the book section approached me and said to me that they want me to teach during this period for booking. But when I looked at everything that I've written down for marriage, I could teach every day two hours for 14 days. At least to be able to make a way. Let me go through the, the headings or the subheadings. Now the first thing is, the seminar is marriage seminar. And the first, the first write-up on marriage seminar is the keys to successful marriage. Okay, before we go to the origin of marriage. And the keys to successful marriage is found in two books. First, the book of Psalm 127, verse 1. It says, unless the Lord build the house, it labors labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. Alright, so if God is in the center of your marriage, you will succeed. But we understand the fact that it's not only God. Because God cannot work if you frustrate him. God is in the midst of every Christian marriage, but many Christians frustrate God. And that goes to the second important thing about keys to marriage. And that is Proverbs 24, verse 3 to verse 5. It says, by wisdom a house is built, and through understanding it is established. Through knowledge its stores are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. A wise man Right. It says, A wise man has great power and a man of knowledge increases in strength. Now, this is my introduction to marriage seminar. Wisdom build the home house. Understanding establish it. And knowledge fills it. Build, establish, fill. Now, in this section, I've not been able to teach you deeply about this area, but this is introduction to marriage seminar. And then we looked at, you know, right, let me say I look at, then before we go to what we've been looking at, what I call epilogue, which should be the end of the book. Okay? Epilogue, I haven't told you in this lecture, but let me take you through the epilogue. The epilogue talks about husband, husband and wife joint responsibility, and wife also. In the epilogue, it covers all what I've shared with you about how can you understand the true man to say yes to as a lady? How can you understand the true woman you should say yes to as a man? It covers 
you know, responsibilities of what a husband is. It covers what is the responsibility of a man and what the general responsibility is. Let me just take you through the scriptures because they were good for the book writing. Proverbs 31, verse 10 and 11. I'm talking about epilogue concerning one wife or woman now. A wife of noble character who can find. She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. I want to follow what I'm saying very critically. You will discover that in this epilogue or preamble, you may call them, you will find a summary of all what we talk about marriage. It begins by talking about a woman or a wife, sorry, of noble character. We understand therefore that noble character is paramount for wives. Yes? And it is also rewarding too, not only paramount, it's very rewarding. It says noble character is rare gem. Not many women have it. Only few do have it. So you have to aspire as a woman to be one among those who have it. It says she is worth. So noble character has a worth. It is pricely. She's worth more than rubies. It is a, it is a, it is a status a woman will, will, will earn or be, and there is no value to it. There is no money, there is no, no gem to it. That is to replace it or compensate for it. It says her husband is full of confidence. That tells you the effect of noble character. When a woman is noble in character, you will affect the confidence of your husband. And it says her husband has confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. If a woman is of noble character, she will make, she will fill all the gaps for her husband. Filling all the gaps for her husband. You know, husbands are always boys, no matter how old they are. As wives are girls. Are we together now? And the husband is a father as well, and the wife is a mother. And sometimes the boy part of your, your husband will manifest like your son will be. And a woman with noble character will supply all the values. Everything the man needs will be supplied. Because he's behaving like a boy. Yes, you know, that time the woman plays the role of a mother. But at the same time, when he plays his role as a father, the woman plays the role of the father. When she, he plays the role of a husband, the woman fills the gap as a wife. And so nobility is very, very substantial. And it is, um, it is very, very necessary for an established home. The second thing is Proverbs chapter 12, verse 4. It says, a wife, a wife of noble character is her husband's crown. So what does that tell us? Nobility of a woman glorifies the husband. If you read the whole of Proverbs chapter 31, it tells you a lot about what a noble woman will, 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 you know, accrue to the husband. On the nobility of a woman, we accrue to the husband. One of it says that it's her husband's crown. Alright? But a disgraceful wife is like decay in the bone. 
Now let me say this to you. If the Bible says a, a woman of noble character is a husband's crown, you understand that you, for you to get the crown of a king, you have to get his life. The whole nation will fight for the crown of a king and die so that the king will, receive, will retain his crown. So therefore, that tells you the, the strength and power and the values that a noble character of a woman can bring to the husband. She will protect you. I mean, he will protect you, rather, more than anything. Because a noble character woman is so protected and guarded by the husband to the last drop of his blood. I would gather now. But if a woman is ignoble or disgraceful, okay, it's like a decay in the bone. Understanding the fact that we have told you, children in the Bible, over the past few days, that once you marry, there is no going back. But once you, when, if you do not discern very well, and you jump into a wrong woman, unfortunately she becomes your cross. Strange enough, no wonder the Bible says she be a decay. And this is talking about a disgraceful woman. I will look today at what that means in the Bible, because I will take you through scriptures right through. So a woman, a disgraceful woman, is like a decay. You know, in church, when you hear, and they investigate it, it's this woman. It's this woman. Talk against that, talk about that, slander that, and all stuff like that. And people will just be saying, but the husband is good. You know? And the husband will notice that in his wife. Every effort to stop her from it, she just keeps on disgracing the man. The man gets frustrated. He cannot... Cut her off so she becomes a decay in the bone. A double pain. And you know, when the man is in pain, he will not care for any other thing but for that pain. So that woman will suffer neglect. She will suffer rejection. And the man will totally not even recognize caring for her. Because any time her memory comes to the husband, is regret. So women must be very, very careful. But look at the third epilogue about women. Proverbs 12, 2. A good man obtains favor from the Lord, but the Lord condemns a crafty man. When I say a good man finds favor, and I'm talking about women, Someone can say, but how can you talk about a man finding favor and reflect that to uh, the epilogue of a woman? You only need to look at the next, the next chapter. 18.22 It says, he who finds a wife, find a good thing and obtain it or receives favor from the Lord. So if Proverbs 18.22 says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. And Proverbs 12, 2 says, a good man obtains favor. Which means that God will always push a good man to marry good women. <laughs> In most cases. But of course, that is a saying that a good man who is sound in the spiritual. Alright? But many of us get into wrong marriages at the time we did not know the Lord. Isn't it? Yeah, that's the position. At the time we didn't know the Lord, it's not our fault, but it's partially our fault. Because we just got to get married and everybody's picking anybody and we too pick just somebody. 
we kissed her or kissed him. And before you know it, you, you are in it. And then when you recognize that you step into, you know, a decay in the bone, there is no way out. You have two or three children already. So you say, God, help me. Eventually, you got saved. She got saved. So what happened to both of you is that now you now begin to be penetrated by the word. Because there will be many things that the word of God will cut off from you, which you do, which is wrong. But because you didn't know the Lord, you did then. And you believe that's the way to do things. Same thing with the woman. So because both of you were not born again, your decision was not the, the perfect will of God. All right, but now you're born again, you have to make it work by tremendous sacrifice. And we have been covering things like that. So the Bible says here, a good man obtains favor. And then it says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains a favor. Therefore, if you equate the first to the second, then you can say that God, a good man, will, marry, will, will, you know, will have a good wife according to the scriptures. And he will obtain, as because a good man will obtain favor. So God will order the steps of a good man to a good woman. That's the reason why, look, let me say something to you ladies. Don't marry a man for compassion. Okay? Don't marry a man because you feel you are getting uh, left behind. Don't die it. Don't marry a man because a lot of ecologists are jumping into marriage. Don't do that. Let me say this to you. I will address this now because I wanted to address the issue of divorce. You know, if a woman made a mistake in her onset, because I told you yesterday that men do what? They lie and women do what? Deceive. So if a man, if a woman fell a victim of a lying man, he promised you heaven and earth, even your, what your father never promised you before, and every promise he made, he didn't have substance for it. You know, he put some good shirt, good tie, and sleek, clean shape, but he's a bankrupt. You know, those lies do that. They will tell you lies about the education. They will tell you lies about the academics. They will even go with you on train and stop at a particular station where you have, you may say, oh, I'm working in that building, HSBC building. They can trek and walk into the area and then vanish. And you will think, oh, they're telling me the truth. And then you got home and found out that they are jobless, they are uneducated. Now the problem just began. Same thing with the woman I told you about deception yesterday. Now, let me assume that, you know, I haven't got into such a trap and you discover yourself that, you know, the man slept with you, you got pregnant, you gave birth to a child. It doesn't mean you should marry him. Because you gave birth to a baby, to a, a man, you discover that he was a liar. He slept with you, do you lie. You ignorantly, sincerely trusted and thought that he was true. But you found out that all what he said was a lie. What the mistake many young ladies have done is that I don't want to have one child in one house. You can, for God's sake. That's the child you got by your mistake. You know something? Some will say that, well, because I have put my head in it, I have to marry. You don't have to. You only had a problem brief. Maybe you, you have that problem for three years. Nine months to be pregnant. One year to give birth. And then the second year to win the child. Seal yourself up underneath. Become 
a world. Take your baby, take care of that child. Pray sincerely to God. You know, responsible men still marry women who have children. I would mean now. But what would make a responsible man marry a woman who has children is because, number one, she had found nobility in that woman. You know, a noble woman must have career. You read that in, 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 in Proverbs chapter 31. She will be a, very, a career woman. She will be a very excellent woman, very reasonable, resonant. You will know by talking to her, she's highly intelligent. The first question that will come to the man is that, but why did they make the mistake? Then what will come to the man is that, well, it was ignorance. But not her type. And we have seen cases where responsible men married women who have, you know, got a, a child or kid and made a good home. Take care of the child. When the child is grown, if the father wants the child, they say give the child out, but they will take care of the child because of the mother. So I'm saying this to say that if any one of you have made a mistake, you found yourself in it, you will suffer, of course, but it's just for a little while. That mistake is to help you. God allowed it now, not God. God made you do it, but when you did something wrong, okay, God will have stopped you by force, even by paralyzing you. He didn't. So that God's jurisprudence can be equitable. Okay? God can be just when he judges. So, but when you make such mistake, like God will receive anybody from anything he does, he will still receive you when you repent, but you will suffer. He will, not, he will not mediate for the suffering. Because that is a reminder for you not to go back to that and now be serious with God. I would get it now. So, for those of you who are in that situation and you listen to me all over the world, don't give up. Don't go back to the camp that seeks to destroy you. Stay clear from them. Become a wall now, but not a door. So, you can still marry a good, a good man if you are noble. You can see make it up if you have a noble character. So, now we're looking for one, two, three, four. Is it the fourth one I'm giving you now? I can hear you. Are you writing down? Let me tell you something. I didn't want to tell you this before. After leaders meeting today, I'm meeting all the leaders and I'll be giving some of them assignment from, to, from Sunday to talk about what they learned in this seminar. Before I preach, either they came or they did not come. Anybody who I lay my hands upon, I expect him to know what I've taught. In the sense that if you miss any of my meetings, I expect to have listened. And I will give them the assignment from today. And I will not be telling them before. I will just call them in the week that tomorrow you are going to minister in this area. Ten minutes reflection. And some of you members, I say, you get ready. You are going to tell us what you learned about marriage. Or you get ready. You are going to tell us something. From what you learned about marriage seminar. So that I can know that my talking all these days is fruitful. Do you agree? Say amen. Even if you don't say amen, they've said it on your behalf. Now let me carry on with you. <laughs> so get, make sure you are writing as I'm speaking. So what I've got, where I got it to you, I'm talking about the epilogue or preamble, you may call it, if you like, uh, of women, wife. All right. So we have looked at, he who finds wife, find a wife, find a good thing. Now, now, 
Look at Proverbs 19, 13 to 14. This says, a foolish son is his father's ruin. Are you seeing this? And a quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping. Houses and wealth are inherited from parents, but a prudent wife is from God. Are we getting this? It's talking both to men and to women. It's talking to men, who do you look for? And it's talking to women, who do you not want to be? So if you, if you look at the message behind that, foolish sons end up with wrong women. You know, sometimes your father will be telling you that, look, this step you are taking, that direction, don't go there. Alright? When your father say that you want to marry a woman and your father or your mother has a reservation, alright, not based on religion, okay, but based on you know, not being sure because of character or because of family that they came from, because of... You need to think twice. You need to think twice. I wish all the women in Christ with Tabernacle, especially those who want to get married are here. You know what I've thought? Anybody who wants to come to me for my seminar now, I will not waste my saliva anymore. I will ask them, did you come on this day? No. They will sit down. I will sit down. I will play those tapes. I think that's the best thing. So that they can be fully informed. Then we'll discuss about it, what you have heard. I would get that. So I want those in the tape section to give me all these tapes immediately after my lecture, complete DVD by Sunday. I'll make it available in your section there so that people can buy them. Now those of you watching me live across the globe now, especially the team from Belgium and um, Germany and India, you can always phone the office and they will put the telephone online for you so that you will be able to order for this tape. So anybody watching us, any part, any part of the world. Now, a foolish son is a son who believes that he's more intelligent than his father. I would get it now. They run, they become a victim of wrong women. Quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping. Houses and wealth are inherited by parents, but prudent wife is from the Lord. The next one, Proverbs 21 verse 9, Better to live in a corner of the roof than to share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Did you see that now? She quarrels with this in the church, she quarrels with that in the church, she quarrels with that one in the church, she has reason to quarrel with everybody all the time, always quarrel. When will you live in peace? And when you have sicknesses destroying your bones and so don't you understand? A quarrelsome person is, an, is, is a gateway to diseases, including hypertension. Killer diseases will enter into the body of a quarrelsome person. Together. And I will advise men, if your wife is quarrelsome, publicly expose her. That is the way to deal with quarrelsome women. Don't cover them. Tell people, help me, help me. She is now problem to me. Quarrel with this, quarrel with that. And the people she quarrels with, you make friends with them. So that you will not be a victim. And you, you will not be punished by God. Because, you see, I will read something to you today that will shock you. 
when I talk about the rules of engagement for, um, for on communication, you'll be shocked. If your wife is quarreling with people, you have no right to quarrel with those people. If somebody falls, the other one should what? Lift him up. Okay? If my wife tells me that she has issue with somebody, you know what I do? What is the issue? She tells me, I will call that person. My wife has this issue with you. Now talk. Talk. You must resolve it. Or tell her, I want to go and meet that person now. I'm watching you. Resolve it. If he says, no, 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 I will call that person, you must confront that person. That is the scripture. Because so that, you know, let me say this to you. Satan seeks families to destroy it. We want to understand by spiritual rules that the devil cannot have any, cannot penetrate you unless there's a foothold. Okay? Now, my wife may not be happy with you, and her reason of not being happy with you may be because you, you were a nuisance, or you did something wrong. So, her reason to be unhappy with you is justified. Okay? But now she tells me that she's not happy with you. What is my role? Why would God allow her to tell me? What is my role? Blessed are the peacemaker for they shall see God. My role is not to say to her, like, oh yes, I, I also saw that. Ah, yeah, and we start talking and talking and talking over nonsense. To the extent that Satan almost got her. Or she's just revenging her own uh, dissatisfaction. And I helped her to open the door for the devil. Then they will strike her blood. They will strike her heart. They will strike all parts of her body. Who is going to be mopping up the sicknesses? It's me. Plus, she will go to bed not happy. If she goes to bed not happy, her blood will rise. She will start having dreams, all manners of nightmares and stuff because her heart is not clean. God allowed her to speak to me so that I can tell her, don't worry, don't worry, you know. I can understand that you are right. You know, your reason for the, uh, uh, you know, the silence is correct, but you must not sin. That's my role. That, you know, ignoble in the church and noble in the church. You have to love everybody before God. At least Jesus accommodated you too. So that I can calm that hate and stop it. Or the grievances before becoming hate. Okay? Then I can call that person to order. It doesn't matter who the person is, what name the person is, because I don't want to go to hell. I can die any minute. If I die, I will stand before Jesus. He will say, you had that. What did you do? And he can't tell me to go back and mend it. We must be very careful. I always say something that Satan can't get me. When I say things like that, I mean it. Because for you to be free from the devil, you have to keep your tongue, your ear, your sight. And you have to subdue yourself to the word of God. You must be known by a wife that when it comes to contravening the word of God, know forever. Your children, your friends. Because you as the head of the house is supposed to be the direction for the family. And not allow any of your family to get into the snare of the fowler. And then you start fasting and praying over what is done. Now, that scripture tells you and I, question why? Why should your wife be question a Christian? Amen. So therefore, these are traps of the devil. How many have I given you now? First one, proverb, noble character. Second one, proverb 12, 4. Third one, proverb 2, 12, 2. 
Alright. Then the next one. 18.22. Then the next one. Proverbs 19.14. And then the next one I want to give you now. Oh, we are giving you Quoresome 21.9. Alright. How many have I given you so? The seventh one. Proverbs 23.27. It says for a prostitute is a deep pit. And a wayward wife is narrow well. A wayward wife is a prostitute. I have dealt in this London with cases of married women who want to commit adultery. You know, it would be the last thing you think a Christian or a church-going woman would do. Oh, strange enough. <laughs> she was committing adultery and the husband had been talking and talking and talking. You know? Then, you know, with me, you can't tell me that someone committed adultery unless you catch him red-handed. And then this day, the husband came and met the man with her in his bedroom. Yes. That couple came to this church. The woman ran away from this church. Because you cannot come here and, uh, you know, dress anyhow. And uh, do anyhow. And then wallow in sin. I will zero into you. (laughs) What brought the matter was that I was preaching one day and I was staring at her. <laughs> I didn't like the way she dresses because a woman who loves to open her nakedness is demonized. Already. Understand. The place demon occupying Christians is different from the place Holy Spirit occupies. You can be used by the Holy Spirit but yet you are demonized. You can raise all the dead body in crematorium, but you are demonized. And you open door for your body, demons enter Power of God anointing is in the spirit. That's why you can see people anointed, but they cannot keep a home. They can't keep a family. Always quarreling with their wife, angry all the time. But when they prophesy, don't go check it. They pray for the sick and they'll be healed. But character, they are bankrupt. Because the part of character is for you to develop. Are we together now? Come on now, let's talk. Talk, 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 talk. Now, therefore, then number seven, is that correct? Eight? Okay, number seven, eight. Proverbs 23, 27. I'll give you that. A prostitute, for a prostitute is a deep pit. And a wayward wife is a narrow well. Proverb 21. Something came to my spirit. Christians, be very careful. Okay? You have some people today in churches, some churches, you know, they say they are singers. They will dress women. And their laps will be out. Almost their bombs coming out. I saw one of them last weekend. And carry the microphone and be singing. <laughs> you would think that Holy Spirit is ended. Even you can Let me say something to you. And you see all of them too, all their breasts out and armpits out and flabby all over the whole Not different from all these rock and roll stars. Even some of the rock and roll stars, when they dress nude, they still have a check. But in the church of God today, they are reckless. Are you with me now? 
I was standing, I said, Lord, what is this? You know what the Lord told me in that church? He said, who is the best singer on earth I created? He said, it's Lucifer. I said, oh God. Lucifer sings in churches. And churches where they go, their pastors cannot rebuke or check or preach about that and stop them. It's because of the kind of preaching of the pastor, they come. Look, I was going to talk about when you get married. I think I better talk about that now. When a man and a woman marry, they are both Christians from different churches. Which church should they go? No. They don't have to go to the husband's church. Neither do they have to go to the wife's church. What about if both of them are going to useless churches? Okay? So both of them must not have interest of any church in mind, but the interest of the best church. Who, if the husband's church is the best, go there because of the children you will give birth to. If the wife's church is the best, go there. First, think about what will happen to your kids you are bringing up. A church where you know they are not strong, they are not solid, they do not teach about righteousness, they just do whatever they like. You take your family there, in your old days, you will, you will cry. So simple. So simple. A church to me is a place where the word of God is preached and the word of God is lived by the one who preaches it. That's a church to me. Anything less, forget it. Forget it. A church to me is not a place where the leader cannot see. In the spiritual, it can be eloquent in speech, but he can't see. Vision he doesn't see. Experience of God he doesn't have. Encounter he doesn't have. I will not go to that church. You don't go to church or social club. Now these guys, these girls who are doing this, they have now started with their boys too who scrape their hair on one side and want to behave like the people in the world, you know. Their heart is still in the world, you know. Put nose on, the, on their nose, earrings on their nose, ankle chain, with a, the Bible forbid. West line, they put in, a, what do you call this stuff? Beads, with the Bible forbid. They started praise and worship in churches now where they just go and uh, boogie down. Yes, yeah, they do that now. They call it boogie down. And you just go, Amazing <laughs> The hand is like this, the breast is going like that. <laughs> exactly like Tom and Jerry. <laughs> Hallelujah, somebody. And they say, yeah, yeah, it's all about me, it's all about me, it's all about me. And they'll be flinging their breasts to the boys. Oh yes, what do you feel, what do you happen thereafter? The same thing that happened when we went to a club in the world. You, you hook somebody, came on. So, a lot of men now who are looking for free girls, they go to prison and worship. And that's how they find it. God will judge them forever. I'm saying that you must be very careful. There are issues also that some people will be in a church, and because of one thing or the other, somebody offended me or somebody says something, they leave the church. Think about your children. If that church is a solid church, Okay? Don't let your ego or your rebellion dictate the ruin of your descendants. I'm talking about marriage and family. Are we together now? Let me finish your preamble because I have for men too. 
So we just looked at a prostitute is a deep pit, and wayward wife is a narrow well. Now look at the next one. Proverbs twenty-one nineteen: Better to live in a desert than with a with than with a quarrelsome and an ill-tempered wife. Better to live in an isolation than to live with a quarrelsome and ill-tempered wife. You men, you know something? Before you prove a woman that you will marry the woman, provoke her to the maximum. I did that to my wife before I married her. Yes, I did. Push all the venom outside. I provoked that. And she kept quiet. She didn't know I was testing her. She then said, I'm sorry. I was the one wrong. She said, I'm sorry. I said, now you have become like my mother. I can marry you. Haven't God told me that's my wife? I tested her. Because the Bible says that it's better to live in a death class than to live with a quarrelsome or an ill-tempered wife. Ill-tempered wife can get angry and the television you bought expensive money, she will just break it. Yes, it happened. I know people have done that. Ill-tempered wife can just punch you. She can lock the door against you in your house and say, you are not sleeping here today. You must sleep outside. When somebody is ill-tempered, she is mad. Yes, a madman lost his senses. Everything done under ill-temper is madness, is malady, is mental, derailment, mental neurosis. Let me say something to you. If you get a psychiatrist to test an ill-tempered man, they will find out that a madman is better than an ill-tempered man, even in memory. Ill-temper is the most extreme of evil. Totally taken over by the devil. Things that come out of ill-temper is always a regret for life. That's what the Bible says. Better to live in a desert. In other words, it's better for a man to be isolated and never marry in his life. Than to marry an ill-tempered woman. Listen to me. You will not fall to that trap, man. I think a man God hates will be a victim of it. The last one, Proverbs 25, verse 24. Better to live in a corner of a roof than to share a house with Coruscant wife. Why is he not talking about Coruscant, 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 ill-tempered? You can see all the demerits of it. Now, let us go to the preamble for male and female, husband and wife. Proverbs 27, verse 15 and 16. A Coruscant wife is like a constant dripping on a rainy day. Restraining her is like restraining the wind or gasp, grasping oil with his hand. Correction, woman. Now, what about the man? Proverbs 26, verse 21. As charcoal to amber and as wood to fire, so is a correction man for kindling strive. I, I thought it's only women who quarrel. But the Bible says that there are men too who quarrel like never. 
Stingy and quarrelsome. They came to what? Strive. They will turn the, the, the face of their wife and their family against other people. Can you imagine a quarrelsome father? I can't even put it anywhere. But it exists. Fight with this in the world, they fight. In church, they fight. In the market, they fight. If there's no fight, they will fight themselves. Yeah. Now, this leads me to talk about more, more about men. Let's see what the Bible says about men. I've been talking about women. And I think some people have been saying that is this man feminist? I'm not. I am feminine and manist. <laughs> feminist and manist. <laughs> Hallelujah, somebody. This is the house of the Lord. God is not, is not feminist or manist, or he's not, he's not uh, to the side of a man or a woman, because both man and woman came out of him. Look at what he says about some men. He began by saying, quarrelsome man. May God not give you a quarrelsome father. And any one of you who has it, may God change him. Look at what he says here. Now let's look at the man. Proverbs 14.7. Stay away from a foolish man. Woman, did you hear me? You girls who haven't stepped in, you tell the brain of a man is foolish, pack your bag and baggage and run for your life. Stay away from a foolish man. Come on, come on, come on now. It says, for you will not find knowledge on his lips. You knew he was foolish in courtship. Pack your bag and baggage. Just like a snail would drop back into your shell. <laughs> into your shell. You don't need to confront it. Oh, can you change him? Never can you change him. He programmed himself to be foolish. What about man? Proverbs 14, 17. A quick-tempered man does foolish things. And a crafty man is hated. So as you have ill-tempered woman, you have ill-tempered man. Let me tell you a sad story. And this story will answer this question. In marriage, if a woman is complaining that this man, the way he's treating me, one day he will kill me, what else should you do? Instantly, you instruct separation. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. You, you instruct separation. The Bible says it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, that in a Christian marriage you could separate for a while. But it's based only on violence. In London here, when I was a Baptist pastor, a girl will come and say, a woman, my husband is threatening me, he beats me. And when you see the man in the church, tall and, you know, very calm, very harmless looking, he can't kill a fly. But when he gets home, it's a terror. So, when she was telling us, we can't understand it. We said to her, just, in those days, I haven't got the knowledge I have today. Because I was born in Christ Apostolic Church. The only thing they told us, the old Pentecostal church, that God, God, you marry, you die there. Period. Anything you find there is your business. Period. Okay? But this is one of the places where I began to really read the Bible myself. Not what I was taught. Okay, as doctrine. But what does the Bible really say about this matter? Because the Bible cannot will anybody bad. And I found out that 1 Corinthians 7 
deals with marriage, it deals with separation, it deals with divorce in Christian Christendom. Okay? You know what happened? One day on the news, the man took the woman, cut her to pieces. Yes? Put her in a sack and went to the London, uh, London Bridge or Tower Bridge. The bridge that's rise and fall. Tower Bridge. And he was pulling her body from her, his car to throw into the river Thames. So some people saw him pulling a sack. What's this? And they saw drifts of blood. They fought the police. As the police were coming, wah, 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 wah. he left that sack, jumped into the river and died. They took the sack as the piece of that girl. When I was told, I lamented. That God, what have I done wrong in this? She told us. She told us. She told us we were naive. Many things they taught us in those days. We don't read the Bible. They read it for us. The only thing we do is prayer, 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 fasting, 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 fasting. Bible bankrupt. Are you with me now? So knowledge we don't have. And a man says that a man without knowledge is like a brood that perishes. A beast that perishes. So I wept. Then I started reading the Bible. And God showed me. So today if somebody tells me that my husband is, is maltreating me or my wife is maltreating me. Because as some men, as some men beat some women. Some women too beat some men. And the men that they are, the men that their wife beat, you know, they are afraid to say it outside because they feel ashamed to say it. Yeah, I've dealt with a good number of them. Now, I'm a law person. When you report a thing like that to me first, I look at the books, what the law says, and I must implement the law. Straight away. Let you know the position you stand in law. To restrict that person who is a violent person. Then before I now show you the dilemma that you will face from the scriptures. And if I see that this mutilation, you know, is bodily harm, I call police myself right as you are, I'm counseling you. Right on the counsel, I will call police to so let police know I am dealing with this case and there is a grievous bodily harm in this issue. The man is right in front of me and the wife is here. Not to take them away, but to, to restrict them. There was another young lady who came to this church, you know, some years ago. And in her own case, very quiet woman, industrious, and the man, a good sleeper, lousy. She has businesses, and the man is the one who keeps the money, who works the account. And the man would beat her to stupor. When they came here, and she told me, I called the man, and I told the woman, if he raises his hand again, Phone police instantly. She said, I thought it would be a sin. I said, it's not, it's righteousness. Phone police. I haven't gone to law school then, you know, many years ago. That's more than 15 years ago. I said, phone police. When she phoned police, no, she didn't phone police. She, the man has started beating her. And the people, many boss were hearing. I'm talking about quarrel some man too. They are useless, bankrupt. Look at what the Bible says. A quick-tempered man is he does, he does foolish things and crafty man is hated. Do you know what happened? The neighbors phoned police and God caught him. 
He went, please, we are coming. He wanted to run away. He ran into their hand. They arrested him. They took him, took him away. The woman was unconscious. They had to, you know, resuscitate her. If it's my daughter, you think I will not? I will bite the man in the nose. Under <laughs> <laughs> <that> self-defense. <laughs> now listen to me. This is how I take all the women in church, all the men in church, you know. So, police caught him. And the police took him away. Then the woman was taken care of. She was resuscitated, took her to hospital. She recovered. She came to me and told me in the church. I said, did you call the police? My neighbor's called police. said, good. So, where is it? They took him away. She said, but I don't want him to go to jail. I said, that is the place he will learn and change. That's the place of repentance. He, he must go to jail. She said, no, I don't want to. I, <laughs> I said to her, did they spell you or you spell yourself? The Bible says you should separate for what? This man, church can't help him. God can't help him. Man will help him. What about the case? Maybe they went to, they went to court and she says, no, I don't want to. I want to drop the charge. And the, the police said, well, this is a crime against the crown. A criminal offense. They prosecuted him and put him in jail. When he came out for six months in jail, you know he's with caution. Six months only. If you, if you, we hear you do this again or any crime, you will live the rest of your life. <coughs> he was sensible. The man came out of jail. He became a good guy. So it means that <laughs> your temper that he had. He was just uh, behaving anyhow. He just chose to molest the woman because where he came from, they believed that they must just molest women. That is ungodly act. Men who do that, who listen to me, may God send them to jail. Yeah, why should you beat somebody else's child? Any man who beats his wife, you know what I pray for them? May God bring a stronger man that will beat you the same way. Not a knife for a knife. No. Whatever a man sweats, that shall he repent. <laughs> God will let somebody double cross you in, in, in the, in the, in the tube, tube station and punch good out of you. Then you remember how you punch the woman. Or even as he's punching you, tell you don't punch your wife anymore. Bah! Don't punch your wife anymore. <laughs> Alright. We're talking about ill-tempered men. And some men, Proverb 15, Proverb 15, 20. A wise son brings joy to his father, but a foolish man in his, a, a, a foolish man in despises his mother. A foolish man despises his mother. You see, remember the one I talked about. That is just talking about, you know, the foolish man the other time, what, so, what, the one who despised the father. Now, more epilogue on men. Proverbs 18, 20, A perverse man stirs up dissension. A gossip separates close friends. Can man gossip? I thought it's for women to gossip. It's not a gift for women. Men also have that gift. <laughs> 
a man gossip. I can understand. But the Bible calls him a perverse man. Stairs of dissension. He will divide this to the other. He is always looking for something to validate others. You know what happened to a man like that? He never prospers. He never prospers. Look at the next one. Proverbs 17, 13. If a man pays back evil for evil, evil will never leave his house. If a man pays back evil for evil, evil will never leave his house. You know, you women, what I'm just saying to you is that marry a righteous man. Be patient. Keep serving God. Your righteous man will come. Evil for evil. Evil will never leave his house. Look at the next one. Proverbs 17, 20. A man of power's heart does not prosper. He whose tongue is cheerful falls into trouble. Did you see this now? Did you see this? The last epilogue for men. Proverbs 20, 19. A gossip betrays a confidence. So, avoid a man who talks too much. Ladies, look at me. A man who talks too much. Avoid him. You know, I was telling you, the, you know, over the past two days, how to discern the right wife or the right husband. Because in dwelling on that, I'm not only dealing with those of you who are yet to be married, but I'm dealing with those who are married that this is what they ought to be. I maintain. Oh, somebody is married, is having a headache in his marriage. I'm enjoying my marriage. I enjoy my life. And I told my children, don't close your eyes when you marry a person. Open your eyes and your nose. Okay? Who cannot work together unless they... Simple. Simple. You can change career easily. You can change wife or husband easily. It takes a process. Serious one. I will say that to you now. I just read you the preambles. Hmm? I haven't taught it really. Let me take you straight away to what I'm teaching you today. Tell someone beside you today, not today. So in the list of, of the book, we looked after preambles, we, we looked at um, origin of marriage, which I've treated up to yesterday. I spoke about Christian and divorce a little bit yesterday. But yesterday I ended by talking about unity in marriage. Where we look at God blesses unity. Alright. And we looked at Ecclesiastes 4, 4, 9 to 12. And I read that again. Two are better than one because they have a good return to their work. If one falls down, verse 10, his strength can help him up. But pity a man who falls, and no one to help him up. 
also if one if two lie down together they will keep warm but how can one keep warm alone then verse 12 <coughs> though one may be overpowered two can defend themselves a cord of three strands is now quickly broken and i gave you five benefits of marriage yes number one Better financial capacity and better financial return. Okay? Number two, support and care. Number three, comfort, romance, affection. And I put all that together in one line. Or else I would have said comfort and then romance and then no. They all work together. Comfort, romance and affection. Because comfort is showing affection in a romantic way. They were talking on television today that many husband and wife do not romance themselves. Yeah? But unfortunately, those who are having boyfriend and girlfriend, that's what they engage themselves in all over the corners. That's a bad order. The one who is in girlfriend and boyfriend is not supposed to do that. It's those who are married that are supposed to do that. For if you are not married, it's arm's length. Because if you use your mouth to kiss somebody and the person didn't marry you, you carry that mouth to kiss another person. How many people will you kiss? <laughs> Abby, everyone you kiss, their mouth remains in your mouth. So if you kiss two people, you have three mouths. <laughs> But you know, in this church, we do a weekday weekend for married people. That's why we talk about it. Comfort, romance, and affection. Number four, cooperation, unity, and strength, and defense. Cooperation, unity, strength, and defense. Then, number five, communication. Now, these are five benefits of marriage. But, among them all, for 15 minutes I want to talk about communication and we'll stop. Because I need to talk about each one of these. In my next um, marriage seminar, I will go from here and talk about each one of these things. The successful convincing or sharing of ideas. Now, in whatever way the case may be, when you talk about communication, you are talking about to do away operation. They may not be equipotential, but at the same time, they are doorway connected. All right. Now, therefore, the two substances that, inf- that comprise communication is language and actions. That is, your words. And your action. But if you look at your action, is a representation of your word. Either you look at that word in the light of thoughts, which is non-audible words, or you look at that word in the light of speech, which is an audible word. If you look at therefore, the bedrock of communication is language. 
and um, maybe a representation of the language, which is action. Therefore, for marriage, if we understand what the Bible teaches us about language, I think we'll be able to be better communicators in our marriages. Do you agree with what I'm saying? I won't teach you everything about this today, but I'll just give you information and then we'll teach better. The first thing that comes to mind, number one, is about, it's all about your words. Communication is all about words. Colossians chapter 4, verse 6. It says, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. Let your speech, which is your words, that is the tool of communication. In other words, before you speak, think so much about it. Let me say something to you. You will agree with me. If a husband and wife have quarrels, and they come to you, alright, what normally people do is that they want to hear what the woman is saying, and the woman will say everything against the man. Is that correct? Come on now, let's talk. Then they say the man to talk. The man will say everything against the woman. Conflict resolution is not about telling what you think about the other. It's about telling what you know about yourself. With the intention of forging an understanding that will benefit both. Isn't it? That is complete resolution. Now, when a man and a, a wife and a husband is fighting, and then, accordingly, and they come to you, and you allow the husband to be telling the, husband, the wife, before the wife, everything against her, that's where he will be abusive in his language, that's where he will be disrespectful in his language, which what he has been doing before that is provoking the woman. If the woman will speak to you, she will reply out of provocation, and before you know, you have an infant. What is the just way? The issue is because both of them did not check the words they will speak. So when people come to me for marriage resolve, what I tell them is that rule number one, I will not want you to tell me. What I first do is that I will see the man alone and he can tell me all his mind. Okay? But you see, because the wife is not there, he will never be rude to the wife. He can tell me that she's always doing this to me. Anytime I do this, she's always doing this to me. Alright? She will not use any word of hate that comes from anger. Because he is just telling me what he is discontented about the woman. When I see the woman, the woman do the same thing and tell me everything that the man had done. But I call them together and I will tell both of them that I do not permit you now. You woman, you tell me, you talk to me, you don't tell me what your husband has done wrong. You tell me what you have done wrong in this matter. And you man, you tell me what you have done wrong in this matter. Because if the man can be sincere to himself and say, look, I've checked all what happened. This is what I did wrong. The woman will be kind and humble enough to say, look, I have checked all this happened. This is what I did wrong. Then there is resolving conflict. That is understanding. Okay? That would benefit both interests. And in my judgment, 
I always say to them that both of you are standing before me. Number one, you are both guilty. Somebody was first guilty. The other one is corporately guilty. Somebody started it. Somebody reacted. Listen to me. Your words is the only weapon given to you which is the bedrock or basis of communication. Therefore, the Bible says, for communication, let your word, your speech, be always with grace. NIV, please. Let your conversation be always, because always is what was not, was taken away from that King James. Say, be always. I want you to not miss the word always. In every circumstance, always. Either you are talking to a friend, you are talking to an enemy, you are talking to anybody. Then how much more you are talking to your husband or wife? Think twice. Look, your heart is that you love one another. Open all the family where the husband and wife are fighting. The fact is that in their heart, they love one another. Somebody is just foolishly making the life boring for himself or herself by not recognizing the other one and wanting the other one to accept everything he or she wants to tell him or her. Alright? Thank you for being angry. But the fact is that the more you continue to go the old way, you will not have peace. How many, how many years you have to spend on earth? Huh? That you make your roof infernal. Hell for you in your house. Whereas, if you decide that, well, I didn't like all what my wife did, but did I do well as well? Does God like what I did too? Okay, I'm guilty. Let me really examine how we have been relating. And you talk to yourself, and you see all what you have done wrong. You are the head of the family, good. Head of your house, nobody struggles with that. That's the reason why the head must cool down. Okay? After all, you are the head. You can't be anything more than head. After you are head now, <laughs> calm yourself down. Let me say something about women. You can easily convince a woman. But, action. Speaks better than voice. Okay? Women are the easiest to convince. Huh? At the beginning, did you not convince her to follow you? Excuse me. <laughs> now let's talk, let's talk, let's talk. And when you convince her, did she follow you? Follow, follow. So after she followed you by conviction, how can't you know that if you are having problem now, you can do what you did at the first time. There's no one like you. I'm sorry. You see, if anybody has to be sorry in this house, it's only me. It's only me. What point are you proving again when you told a woman to follow you? And she followed you. Let her own father's name. Change to your name. Let her father's house. You know, one day I read the Bible in Genesis. It says that the man will leave his family and cling to his wife. I think so. It is women who should be renting house and men living in their house. But I soon recognize that's not what the Bible is saying. It's talking about the soul. 
But that man now will disconnect from his family tree and let his brothers and his sister take care of themselves because he also now has to start a family tree with his children. That's what he's saying. I will gather now. Which will be the first priority. But then, in conflict, ah, think about it, bro. It's your missus. It bears your name. What else do you want? You didn't change your name and be bearing Mr. Her father's name. So when you have conflict, you want it resolved by proving your points. You will grow gray hair and be having nightmares. Nothing good will happen in that. It will not be your portion. Watch your speech. I'm the one who always say I'm sorry. I'm the one who always say I'm sorry. You are the one who applied. That's the reason why the Bible never says a woman divorce. It says if the man give letter of divorce. So we're looking at your words. Alright, the next thing, very quickly, is your behavior. But before we look at behavior very briefly, look at the book of Second, no, First Timothy chapter 6. I say your word. Secondly, avoid controversy, which is element of words. And avoid every controversy and argument. If first Timothy chapter six, verse three to four. If anyone teaches false doctrine and does not agree with sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, he is considered an understanding nothing. He has an unhealthy interest in controversy and quarrels about words that may result in envy, malicious talk, and evil suspicion. Now, what I want to use here is the result of unhealthy controversies. Look at me. Unhealthy controversies, verse 4 tells us, it results on healthy controversies and quarrels about words. That is, if we're arguing, this is what I mean, no, this is what you're saying, no, this is what you have said, no, this is what I had, no. Look, let me say this to you. If I said something, okay, and my wife said that I said something else, I would tell my wife, I'm sorry. That's not what I mean to say. Because sometimes you may have something in your heart and when you communicate it, because of the atmosphere you communicated it, you use wrong language. Alright? Now when you discover, either as a man or a woman, that you have used wrong language, you know what causes problem is controversy, controversial words. Instead of you, once they pointed it out to you, either man or woman, instead of you to say, okay, I'm sorry, that's not what I meant. This is my heart, please. Accept my heart. Alright. Instead of those words I use, this is what I will have said. That will stop arguments. But ego sometimes kicks in. And you, instead of it to accept and say you are sorry, you start to argue that that's not what I mean. He said, but that is what you said to me. I don't mean that. What I said to you, I don't mean that. That's what you said to me. I don't care what you, what you mean. That's what I was saying that. War of words, controversies, end up 
in quarrel, strive, malicious talk, envy, and suspicion. Word of words. Avoid it. You know, the same thing with ordinary friendship in church. You know, some people will just begin to slander you. They talk ominous about you. And if you are not careful, you will get into the pool of wanting to tell people that he, she lied or he lied against you. The more you try to do it, the more you get into trouble because some people have made their opinion. They form their opinion. But let me say something to you. The truth will always And the one who is a slanderer will soon be discovered by the rest community and he will be ostracized. Avoid controversies and arguments of words. Second Timothy chapter 2 verse 14, a workman approved. Then verse 14 says, keep remembering and reminding them of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. Husband and wife. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. If you are quarreling in your family and you want to settle it, don't come and talk against your partner. Talk about yourself. What you did not do right, you are before God. Anytime you want to do, you want to sort out this between husband and wife, and the wife is talking about what the man did wrong. And the man is talking about what the wife did wrong. You never have resolution. It will bring strife. It will bring war. It will bring problems. It will bring fights. It will bring envy and distrust. All men have sinned. You know, people need to think, sit down and think that all this year we have been arguing about ourselves. Well, we never had peace in this house. It's time that we just start to accept that we are both right and wrong. Let me say clean slates. What does that mean? What you wrote in the old slate, you wipe it off. You don't use slate. Do you use slate before? Have you used slate before? You didn't use slate to go to school. Uh, you didn't use slate. When we were in primary school, they give us slate. We don't have book. You write it on the slate with chalk and you carry it home. They wipe it off. You write in slate again, they wipe it off. So when, they, when we did the Bible about clean slate, we understand what they mean now. You wipe off the old one. You can't remember it too. Because you have used duster. Oh, well. You, you use it now in whiteboard. Whiteboard. We use blackboard. Now. <coughs> so you are using whiteboard. But when you use that thing to write. Really when I went back to university, I was shocked that my lecturer just used a, 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 a one thing that has no ink. He was writing on the board and he was showing it doesn't have ink. He called it electronics board. Then he did his hand like this, everything went away. Well, whatever the case may be, when you want to solve your dispute in marriage, remember, accuser of brethren is what? The devil. When you come before God, you don't claim righteousness. Two people came before God. One was praying, and the other one was praying. The one says that, God, you know that I'm a righteous man. I'm not like this useless man. <laughs> Hello? You even look at him the way he's praying. He's not praying with his heart. He's having to mind his own business. <laughs> and he was telling the Lord that I've never stolen, I've never lied, but this man, you see, who knows where he goes. And the other man, 
Whether he had him or he didn't, he just said, Oh Lord, forgive me. I'm a useless man. Please, I'm a thief. I'm so sorry. And Jesus said that both of them left the altar. God answered the prayer of the one who condemned himself. And the one who exhorted himself, he was like, feel the right before God. So if you understand that, why should you want to talk down your wife? Or you want to talk down your husband? What is the matter with you? You can choose to have peace. It has nothing to do with devil. Devil don't make you do anything. It's lack of knowledge and ego. Like someone in Nigeria used to say, I could die better. <laughs> we only need to humble ourselves in the hands of the Lord. Isn't it? Sometimes. You just sit down and think that what you are fighting for, is it worth fighting all this year? When are you going to give up and then just pursue correct things? Finally in that section. Is this second Timothy I gave you? Look at Second Timothy 2.14. Uh, 16. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in them in it will become more and more ungodly. You see the same thing re-emphasizing itself? Your speech. Words. Under your speech. Well, I've finished. Your words. We're talking about communication. Your word, which is your speech. Then your behavior. And the third one is your vision. Your vision. But let me treat the third one first. The third one is... Habakkuk 2.2 Then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that Herod may run with it. We'll talk about that more some other time. You know, in, 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 in uh, marriage, transparency really um, gives back to, let me say, total surrender. Total surrender. Transparency, that's what it does. It always happens that in many marriages, the man is the one who keeps the account. He does all the books and the wife just say, okay, cool, just carry on. Except in the marriage where the woman is probably a finance person. Alright. Oh, we want to buy a house here. You know, just bring me the paper. Sign it. Partners don't read what is in the paper. If the man or the woman is the one in charge of forging all this agreement, making it happen. If that party has a hidden agenda, you know what always happens? God always frustrates God always frustrates The responsibility should be that one acts on behalf of the family, the other signs it. So what should the one who is acting on behalf of family do? Put it down on paper. Give the other one a copy. Oh, don't worry, you have done it. No, sit down. I sold my house or our house for 100000 This is it. It's a joint operation now. Now, this is how we spend the money. I have been spending it on your behalf because uh, you, you, know, you give me the opportunity to do that. 
This amount we put into this account. This is the account. This amount we send into this place. This amount said, I don't want it. Okay. It's in this file. Every file in the house, husband and wife must know. Everything one sign for the house, the other must be fully informed. Though the other may say that you have done it now. Look, if one dies, okay, and the other has no knowledge of what things are, is the beginning of big trouble. Make the revelation plain. Plain. Have no fear of being naked. Because the Bible says they were both naked and they knew no shame. Don't have it in agenda. It always destroys good purpose, good intention. Go frustrate that person at the last minute. Just see things are not working, things are not working. Things. And you have to reason why things shouldn't work. But it's because two shall not work together unless they agree a cord of three strands. You told God, what about your partner? You told God, what about your partner? Three strands. You, your partner, and God. Transparency. Making vision plain. Is the third one. The last one is behavior. Let's just finish behavior and we go. Behavior. Maybe you can write transparency in the second one and behavior in the third one. In your own book. Behavior. Let me just read to you some few things about behavior. Your behavior is very interesting. You know, when I read the epilogue of the man and woman, did you see a lot of behaviors there? Yes? Come on, Archer. Did you see many behaviors there? Mm-hmm. But this one is, very tag- is, is well targeted. It says, now, First Peter chapter 3, verse 2. It says, chapter, chapter 1, chapter 3, verse 1 and verse 2. It says, wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husband, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words, by behavior, by the behavior of their wives. So behavior is very, very necessary. It is very powerful. We've read many things about behavior in the epilogue, isn't it? Come on now, let's talk. All right. It says in verse 2, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives as wives. The number two under behavior is seven things that ruin marriage. These are medication that you take one of them, marriage is finished. So if somebody has the seven do's, the marriage will die beyond death. That it will be impossible to revive. Proverbs 6, 16 to 19. There are six things the Lord hates. Seven that are detestable to him. Number one, haughty eyes. Number two, lying tongue. Number three, hands that shed innocent blood. Assassinating characters of other people. Is shedding their blood. Or unforgiveness is like murder. Number four, a heart that drives with, that devises wicked schemes. 
You know something? When you marry a woman as a man, don't isolate her from her friends. Especially she has good childhood friends. You will have need of them in the future. You will not be helped. The same thing with a woman cannot marry a man and isolate him from childhood friends. Except if those friends are ungodly. But you can't do that for ungodly friends. Oh, you are picking new friends. No, forget it. You see, your old friends who are godly friends, they know you more than anybody knew that you are picking up. You know, people want to indulge in bad things, they pick new friends. But your old friend will tell you that, look, that's not who you are. They tell you about you. They've been with you for long. Be very careful. God hates those things. God hates those things. A heart that devises wicked schemes. Feet that are quick to rush into evil. Feet that are quick to rush into evil. Whenever people are doing wrong things, that person wants to be there. Then, number six. A false weakness that pours out lie. Lie. False weakness. That pours out lie. And a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. These seven medicines kill the marriage dead perfectly. Don't engage in any one of it. I will stop here. On Sunday, I will continue from where we stopped and look into the elements that form good communication from the scriptural point of view, then rules of constructive communication. Can I say something to us that um, today, what's the time? 9.30, I'm supposed to finish by now. You have questions, let me look at those questions because of, um, you know, um, our brethren from our sister churches, I will look at those questions and quickly just answer them because the answer of most of these questions must have been covered in the scriptures I read to you. All new... Okay, no, no, no. Sorry. This one says... When is it okay to ask a woman on a date? I think, you know... Whether the person is asking that, when do you ask a woman for a relationship? We have covered it. When God tells you it's your wife. And I started experiments with a, a pastor and pastor Mrs. Wilson without preparing them for this meeting. Called them out and they told me. And the same thing happened to me. Don't go to a woman to ask for a relationship. Unless God spoke to you. No woman shall accept a relationship at all from a man. Unless you have prayed and God spoke to you. You lock up in a relationship, it should be to marriage. Do we get it now? The reason is because if you say yes to a relationship that God has not approved, you may get infatuated and you discover that you have emotional tie and you couldn't redeem yourself from it. And that will be your destruction. Okay? I fear that in marriage, I fear that in marriage, I have lost myself. 
that I no longer have a voice or an opinion, even to the point that I do not feel like I can openly speak to my spouse about events that are happening within, uh, within or outside of her home, as he tends to brush it off with a simple, it's well, it is well, without allowing me to express my inner thoughts or helping me to see another point of view, thus making me feel completely alone and not supported. Whoever this person is, you need to have a counsel with your husband, with your pastor. But from what I've taught you, that is talking about communication. If you examine what I told you about communication, the bedrock of communication is speech. And the mannerism of communication, of speech, has a lot to do with the results you get. How do you get now? And where many people get wrong is, according to that scripture, their words are not sorting with salt. I would get that. And marriages drift apart gradually, alright, because of insistence on each, each other's ways. And when it's fully far apart, people want to bring it together. So if you want to bring it together, what you do is that you have to just put on another cloth to go back to the beginning. As I've taught, told you. I've covered all that in the, in the lecture. I mean, today, I think what I did today was looking into the practicality of marriage. And uh, yesterday, two days ago, I looked into the mystery of marriage. And we started looking at the practicality of marriage. Today, dear apostle, what should a born-again Christian do when one's wife cheats on him with another man, although she has brought her family to plead and ask for forgiveness it is truly difficult to trust again. After several months, she's not acting like someone who is sober or a mistake. You need to see if the person is under me, come and see me. I can easily resolve that. Now, let me say this to you. Forgiveness, it is only God who forgives, forgives and forgets. Man forgives, but they cannot forget. Because we do not have immortal memory. Okay, we haven't got divine memory. So, but what, how does God deal with our misdemeanor? If we sin or if we acted wrongly before God, God forgives when we ask for pardon. And he set the example. If the woman has asked for forgiveness and have even asked her family to come, that she has gone extra lengths to expose us, uh, her uh, you know, shame to the whole family. So she needs help from the family and from the man. The help the man can give, I spoke to you about, you know, you know within my lecture, first of all is um, forgiveness, which has been followed up with the act of forbearing and communication. Discuss all the time. Put her in a position that she can have confidence in you, that she can tell you anything. Alright, that you're not going to break loose on her. But in family... Things should be spoken from scratch. Transparency. If there was transparency and communication, you, she wouldn't get into all these issues. Because for a woman to get involved in adultery, there must have been a habitat created for that to function, and there must be elements that inform that habitat. 
So to really deal with this issue, we wanted to know from the man, what happened? How did the man get into adultery? What, what, where were you? What was he? And all stuff like that. Looking out into looking at the elements that come, you know, for the habitat and then how that happened. Now, in the new life that both of them is now, we have to make sure that such habitat and elements are extinguished completely so that she cannot be prone to such environment or such circumstances and such. Because any, any way you have been weak is a vulnerable side and Satan will always attack you throughout your life. On that, like a man or a woman who before they got married, you know, they were reckless in sex. When they get married, even born again through the Holy Ghost, that is the area the devil will be hitting you. And that's the reason why the family, as husband and wife, must know the weakness of one another so that the other one will protect the other one. You know, I, talk, I was telling you yesterday that uh, my wife is my protector, isn't it? My rear guard. I said she's my bulletproof. When I see a woman whose eyes is going like, I push my wife forward. Because she can interpret women. I cannot. And sometimes you need that protection to tell you that, look, boy, soft pedal, back off. If your wife says that, be careful of that woman, you can't argue with her. You are not a woman. You just carry your care, make it full, and run away so that you can be redeemed. So, the issue of adultery by a woman is unusual. Because love to a woman is not sex. Love to a woman is affection and care. But the biology of a man, love is intercourse. If a man says, I love you, what he's telling you is that I want to have sex with you. Okay? When a woman is saying that I love you, what she wants is affection and care. Of course, sexual intercourse will come into the relationship. And this is where many women get vulnerable. Young girls get vulnerable. Because they think that a man says he loves me. After he says he loves me, I can trust him. The day you are alone with him, in a room or an isolated place, he, he prays on you. Alright? And exploit your weakness and then you have sex with you. So, men need, women need to know that. But where the case is reversed, and a woman now has become a victim of sexual um, sin, there's a lot to be explored in it. One of the things we look at in such marriage is that, is there sexual satisfaction? Or does the woman really have sexual problems? Or is the woman demonically oppressed? Or is it some circumstances that created that, which was an instant, you know, a one-off occurrence, you know, or it is an addiction and stuff like that. So, but at the end of the day, the partner, because it applies to both male and female, the partner who had not fall into such acts as a Christian, must just put on the cap of Jesus Christ to protect, to guide, to show love, to identify, and to see whether there is something that he or she is not doing that led to that, and start to do that, you know, putting all the arguments of marriage, romance, communication, talking, sit down, appreciating, telling how much you love, and instead of bash, 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 and hatred, that is where you can really test whether you are very, very born again or a little bit born again. So it is. Have I read this? This is Malachi 2.16. 
All right, the Apostle, good evening, and uh, thank you for sharing your life experience during the marriage seminar. My sister and her husband and the husband have been married for five years, and it's been one problem to the other. The husband claims to be born again. Can you understand that? That question is faulty. Because that question is insinuating or inferring that somebody's conduct is the determinant of salvation is not. That question, before I even read it, I know that this is a biased question. But let me continue. But these actions speak volumes. Yes. He has lost several jobs because he tells lies. Okay? That's a lying Christian. And a number of occasions he fraudulently took company fund which led to his dismissal. He's lucky he didn't put in jail. All efforts to secure a job for over three years are led to none because his past reference is afraid to help due to his um, inability to be truthful. My sister took a loan to help him. That's a more problem. To help him start a business? No. Production and sales of airtime, popular, known, or recharge cards, he could not account for over a million. Oh, it's Naira is talking about. At the moment, <laughs> they both do not have jobs. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Let me say this to you. The, the conduct of the woman who is the wife here is fundamentally wrong because if your husband has a problem with trustworthiness, you do not take loan for him. He's wrong. You don't do that. Well, what I would say is that because this one is a situation that happened not in England, because the word Naira, does, it tells me the jurisdiction. So... <laughs> They will need to go to their pastor and get counsel. But for those who are listening, let me say this to you. That man is deliverance. He needs deliverance. He needs to be delivered. And the reason why he needs deliverance, not, I'm not talking about somebody conducting deliverance for years. Deliverance by the word. Cleansing him by the word as with water. The guy needs to be, and that woman, they need to be in a Bible teaching, thorough teaching church. Not church where they tell you about breakthrough and all stuff like that, or deliverance, not nonsense. He needs to be in a place where people are taught the word of God. It's the word of God that can change the heart of a man. This guy is the knowledge of the word that can change him. But to say that he calls himself a born again, I'm so sorry. But again, it's just a man believing in his heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confessed with his mouth, Jesus is Lord, he shall be saved. Of course, someone can fall from grace or born again if you continue in the act of ungodliness. Alright? But the act of ungodliness itself does not undo salvation. So you have many Christians who are fraudsters. Alright? You have Christians who are adulterers, pejorers, even bishops. Sleeping with all manners of people and stuff like that. But you see, if they continue in that, then they will get to the yield point where Hebrew chapter 5, I think, 6 applies. 
So when you see people who are not well charactered in the church, don't say they are not born again. They may be in the in their ignoble stage. Paul said in the household of faith are vessels for nobility and ignobility. So we need to be prayed for intercession seriously. I think I've I've done this. I've answered this question. This is the last question. We are all lucky tonight. I want to go home. To, I have assignment. And tomorrow is marriage. So the whole of tomorrow for me is duty. The whole of tonight is vigil. My question is how can I come to pray, to, to, to pray daily? That's a good question. By deciding to do so. And take the action. From home you pray every three hours. The prayer we meet here in the church, if you close at five, come and pray. If you don't pray, you will engage yourself in that about doing something. So instead of doing what is not profitable, pray. Or adventure that prayer you pray, God will use it to do something. He always does. I come to church every week, all midweek services and Sundays. I am, a, I am in the department. I have a spouse, a child. I work and I'm studying. Good. You're like me. I want to come to the prayer board. After all the above, sometimes I feel tired. Rest. If you feel tired, but be sincere in your heart. The days you're strong, you go. The days you're tired, you rest. Everybody must listen to his body. If your body cannot go further, don't overdrive it. Because anything you do for God, God wants it to come from your heart. Alright? And it must be within your sincere heart and your ability. It's like when we do giving, you know. God, you must know this. You must give to God. Alright? You must bless God out of your earning. But you see, not every meeting you may be able to give. In the days you cannot give, you know, God knows what you have. God knows what your pocket is. You must not be given under compulsion. But if you do not give, then you will not receive. It's continuous poverty. The Bible says somebody hoards. It's continuous poverty. You all need to understand the liberty of salvation. The same thing, let me treat this, because, you know, there are sister churches here. You know, the ministers like myself and others who are your pastors, who labor over you and minister to you. The Bible says you should give them money from your own pocket. The offering you give the church, they to give offering to church. It's not, it's, not, it's not going to them. It's like your father who gave back to you on earth. You must financially bless them. So your spiritual father or mother, you must bless them you know, financially. That's what the Bible says. It says those who take care of you spiritually, bless them with money. And you must celebrate it. You must be happy to do that. That out of your labor, you are able to bless them also. But you see, you are not compelled to do it. Neither are you compelled in your giving. But if you do those things, you will receive the benefit reward that God promised. If you don't do it, God will not give it to you. So it's a matter of choice. So, the gospel of our God is not the gospel of compulsion. But at the same time, I will compel myself to do what the Bible says. 
and I will do it cheerfully and joyfully. It is just like, you know, ministers, bishops don't go to funerals. Yes, but I do. Because it's my concept. I'm the archbishop of the church. If I will expect my members to bury me when I die, alright, if a member of my church dies, I think this, the most sensible thing I can do is to be there for the family. The bishopric that would not make me to go and support a bereaved family, may I never attend that bishopric. But some people will not. Okay? I'm saying this because we're talking about a matter of your choice and how your heart ought to be. What do I want to do as a Christian? I want to, I want to please God. That's it. So, in pleasing God, I will please God in my relationship with my members. I will please God in my relationship with uh, my wife, with my children. I will please God in my relationship with God. And I will do it cheerfully and happily. And then, nothing can stop me excelling in life. Do we get it now? That covers quite a lot of questions that we'll have arisen because it's a matter of conscience here. All right, the last thing is that in, in addition, I see, yeah, I've, I've covered this once. So the way to strike balance is listen to your body and listen to your heart and do what is just. Okay. Can you imagine apostle coming to say that, you know, I have children and I'm married and uh, I'm going to school now as I'm standing here now. Okay. Tonight when I leave this meeting, I have a project to submit. Which, when I get home tonight, I must begin to write it, really, I ought to submit it before 12. But you know, there is mercy. But because there is mercy, I cannot do it tomorrow, because I have to come here tomorrow and do wedding tomorrow throughout. Tomorrow night also, I have another project to submit. Let me tell you what I want to submit. Maybe somebody can help me here. I'm writing on the World Trade Organization. Whether the laws of water organization respects environmental health issues, really? And I have to read some publications of people who have said that the water organization, no, sorry, the water organization agreement does not take into consideration environment, it does not take into consideration human rights, and it does not take into consideration health section. 20, subsection B. Then I have to read also people who said no. Then I have to read how the WTO was formed, the structure of it, and definition of its structure. I must read that between now and morning. And write minimum of 1,000 words. Quoting authorities. Quoting case laws. And I'm here today. All right? So all of us are busy, that's what I'm saying. It's a matter of time management and also being sincere before God. All right, now, the last question. My question is about my family. Growing up with my parents, growing up, my parents always used to make us come to church. Fantastic. Even when we didn't want to. Good. And we grew up we began to come 
on our own volition. That is great. Now the tables have turned. Strange enough, since I left the house, got married, my family only come to church on Sundays. Hmm. My mom works all the time because she has to, to in order to keep things afloat. Something happening that left my dad and sister disappointed in people they looked up to. They took it very hard and no longer come to midweek on to midweek only on Sundays, and that seemed to be by force. I understand their disappointment, but I don't believe it is good enough excuse. That is correct. This person needs to see me directly. Let me speak to those involved. Do you know something? If somebody gets angry with you or misbehaves to you and treats you badly, and you decide to stop going to your university lectures, what happens at the end of the day? You fail. Who suffers at the day? You. Those you are angry about, we never suffer. So we God. So we God. Especially when you have a terrible teacher who is promising you failure. Yeah, it happened. There is one who was so terrible in my own time in, in, um, in uh, Burkina. On our own set, he was removed. Because we confronted it. You can't come to a class and be lambasting us. We demand a little bit of respect. Though they call us students, but we are somebody. <laughs> and we removed him. They removed him after I said. So, now there are four. Disappointments in man should not make you neglect God. That's correct. My sister says that she doesn't believe going to church is what makes people get to heaven. She will grow old to recognize that it is. Going to church makes people go to heaven. The Bible says so. She has really changed and I can't stand it. You only need to pray for her and bring the matter to me. Let me confront her. Sometimes I can't stand her. Yes, that's correct. The rest don't become, don't come because of laziness and because they are following things of the world. Yeah. I am very disappointed in all of them and very sad when I think about them. That's correct. When it comes to victory night and over, uh, and, con- and conventions, I look around and don't see the, see, you know, one single family member. I feel so sad because I know they are missing out. The, their relationship with God is no longer what I used to be, what it used to be. I've tried rebuking them and I've tried sympathizing with them. Nothing works. I pray for them daily. Now I am angry. No. Bring the matter to me. You're getting personal. You know, let me say something to you. Yeah, the guy is, is right to be angry, a human being. I'm angry with them because they can't see the truth. I no longer want to be around them. I no longer visit them and I'm, I use, as I used to. I don't feel this is right, but don't, I don't know what else to do. What else for this person to do is to see me. Alright, sometimes you need an anointed man to just appear to them and all the devils that are flitting will run away. I've dealt with cases worse than that. But you see, that person's feeling is what's 
you know, a normal person who is jealous of God will feel. But the feeling is sincere, but sincerely wrong. Can I help us understand something about humanity? The, the womb you came from to the earth, true to the earth, was just a vehicle. It was just a vehicle. Of course, we have attachment to that womb and the family members. But let me say something to you. Jesus was in church one day and he said to him that your mother and your family are waiting for you outside. He said, they are not my mother and family. He says, those who are my family are those who are here. Jesus said a principle. That if your family refuse to serve God, don't take it personal. The only thing you can do is pray for them and leave them. Because a prophet is not with honor. You know when people withdraw from God like that? Satan will close God with them. When he begins to torture and punish them, they will come back to you to come and be engaged. So you must not be angry with them. Anytime you see them, you talk about it. Anytime you see them, you talk about it. Like somebody whose father is, a, is, a, is not a Christian, anytime you talk to him, you will talk about salvation. You must do that. But for those who have been in church before, who have known the Lord before, but they took a stand because uh, somebody says whatever, and all stuff like that. What happened is that they will put themselves under, they take themselves out of cover, and then when a time comes, Satan will start to deal with them. By God, it is persecution and terrible hand of God that will bring them back. So, but you who is part of the family, be praying for them. Uh, when you look at the lectures you are doing in Bible study here, it is very, very deep lectures that can make a man think twice. Always give that to them. Get them materials that will help them. But don't isolate them in any way. By the way, if your family member is not a Christian, they are still your family. So separate your spirituality from your commonwealth. If you are not a friend of your family, you will be a friend of sinner outside. If you, if you go to the street to go and preach to the hidden to accept Jesus, and your family, you are running away from them because they didn't accept Jesus, that is hypocrisy. Because you see, you are friends with people who have various beliefs in office, and you play with them. I know your anger your anger is that, but they have been with us before. Why should they do that? No, take the anger away. Someone says, oh, the devil is not devil. It's they first, and then the devil follows. Okay? So relate with them on the platform of friendship, on the platform of family member, but be firm in your faith, and be praying for them. And be telling them, I'm praying for you. Tell them testimonies that happen in church. Tell them the things that happen in the church. Those are the things you can do. Enjoy them, love them, celebrate them, and God bless you. Shall we stand up together, please? Thanks again for the Lord. I think I finished this, this, this session's um, um, marriage seminar. But this is what we're going to do. We're going to lift up our voices and pray that God heal our married life. Every obstacle the devil has set in our marriage, take them out. I begin to pray in the name of Jesus. Begin to pray in the name of Jesus. Let's pray for healing in our marriage. Let's pray for healing in our marriage. Lord, be for the healing in our marriage. Let us pray for direction for our spinsters and our bachelors. That God will protect them from strange men and strange women. Pray, pray in the name of Jesus. Father, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us, have mercy on us, have mercy on us, have mercy on us.
have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. Let's pray for the newly married. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verse 9. That God will grant them the grace to enjoy their married life. That Satan will not be able to penetrate them. God protect their hearts. Protect their mind. Make them best friends. And God will bless them with the fruits of the womb. Because they are young in the journey. That the Holy Spirit should overshadow them. Much grace be given to them. Now let us pray for those who are already married for years. That they will fulfill their days. That the grace of heaven will rest upon them. God will bless their offspring. If there is any one of their children that the devil has laid his hands upon will come against in the name of Jesus. That God will restore their children. God will restore their families. Those who are in dispute in their families. Quarrel. Disagreement that God will take away the wall of partition. That God will bring in understanding. A fresh understanding. Their words will be salting with, with salt. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus. Let's pray for all the husbands. That God will give them everything they need to be head of their family. Visions be fulfilled. That grace be given to them. Provision be given to them. That they can provide for their families. They can meet up with all the... The, the um, expectations that is placed upon them. Our men be filled with wisdom. Let's ask God to give our women the power and the wisdom in their ministry as helpmates. The spirit of counsel will rest upon them to counsel their husband aright, to guide their family aright, like the Proverbs 31 women, a noble character. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that God will bless the works of the hands of our women and wives. God will empower them, protect their lips, protect their heart and mind. Any family pulled apart, that God will intervene. Any family pulled apart, God will intervene. Hey, Father, we pray thee. We command your blessing on all homes. Let's pray for that brother whose family I read last. That tonight God will visit all the family. Break down the wall of darkness. And restore back that family back to fire to God. That the Holy Spirit of God will breathe upon them. And restore that home again. Restore the flame again. Deliver them. The Bible says the expectation of the righteous will not be cut up. From tonight there will be revival in that home. Someday they will start coming back to church. And that person will stand up to give testimony. We decree it in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, we bless you, Lord. May the Lord bless all our churches. May the Lord bless all our families. May the Lord bless all our homes. Thank you, Father God. In Jesus' anointed name we are prayed. I wanted to pray one more prayer. You know, I handle one controversial issue. And I handle the second one. is. When people get married from different churches, which church should they go? They need to sit down and evaluate. You don't go to church because you have a commitment there. Now, when you get married, it's no more that. When you get married, you want to look for a church that can take care of you, growth, your family, your offspring. Not a place where they grow, they're full of theories and hypes. But where they can be nurtured, they can be mentored. Because your old age is more serious than your young age. 
And whatever you are able to do within the first five, ten, no, the first ten, fifteen years of marriage is the determinant of old age. Because at the time you give birth to all your children, you send them to school and stuff like that. So, the same thing, what about if a, 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 a person marries somebody from another region? Maybe you are in England and somebody is in another country and you want to marry. Wives are not obliged to move to the men. No. No, that's the wrong thing. Really, Genesis says the man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. So, what do you look for? You look for the better country to stay. If the woman has an established work in, in her country, she cannot leave that work for love. That is foolishness. To move to another country where she will not have equivalent income. That is foolishness. That's the reason why when you are thinking about marriage, you need to sort this out. Are you with me now? Sometimes, the place where the husband is will be more prosperous for husband and wife to live because that woman can get a job of equivalent what she's earning in the country she's coming from and then you can move. But if less, you're joking. It may be that the man also will move over, but it should be that that man can have something equivalent to what he's earning there, or even better. Because if you don't, both of you will be frustrated. I've seen people move from England, you know, because of love. And, oh, yeah, I'm going to Africa. After a few months in Africa, they're frustrated. Because, you see, Africa life today, to talk about comparing Africa with England, or India with England, or Asia with England, apart from, you know, you know nations like, you know, well, they still have issues about human rights. Comparing America, uh, England and, and, and Africa or America and Africa is a, is a recipe for disaster. Yes, I'm telling you the truth. I have no loyalty to anywhere. Wherever I'm settled, that's where my country is. Now because for you to go out of England to Africa, you must go as an expatriate to an international company. If you don't, you will suffer. There is no money you can be paid that can pay for your security and your comfort that you enjoy in England. There is no money. No money. No money. The suffering is outrageous. Put that aside. When you get employment in a national company in Africa, you will be frustrated. Because the way you know that a sensible human being behaves in England it's not the way they, they know that a sensible human being behaves. Really, that is a stupid man to them. Your behavior, to want to do everything right, get it right, live and work for the company, that's stupid man. To them, their way of, of truthful living is totally the opposite to England. You cannot survive. I tell you that. I tell you that. Don't make that mistake. Don't make that mistake. Anybody says that I'm going to Nigeria... I'm going to Ghana, I'm going to, you must have cash. Because the light is not regular, you have to depend on generator. It's expensive, it's noisy, it's disturbing. If your area that you are living is well built with infrastructure, you have to go from that area to another area and go through all the terror. You stop a policeman, a policeman stop you on the way. You know, in England, a policeman can't just stop you anyhow. 
They stop you there anyhow. They abuse you. They will go scot-free. They can do anything to you and they will go scot-free. No, there is no rule of law. There is no rule of law. It's law of the jungle. Not only that, there is no rule of law. There is no rule of man. I'm telling you the truth. Do you understand me now? We have had enough casualty of people who say, I'm going home for good, only to be frustrated. And then all their mates here have advanced for five years and they came back to go and start the bottom of the ladder again. So if you say that you are going over there, maybe you are married by a multimillionaire. Yes, good. But you must understand that the environment and culture that you are brought up in, if you get there, you have to undo that and remove that clothing and just become like them or else you will see money you will see service but you are frustrated after all what does all this mean to me i can't have a normal human life that is more frustrating you know why i'm saying this to you i wanted to pray for every one of you who are not married yet that your plight to marry will not push you hastily into decision and it's a wrong decision. That all those who are here, who are seeking for husband and wife, God will bring their husband into this place. And God will bring their wife into this. If they're from another country, we have a good number of you now. I mean, they came, uh, you know, came from Nigeria. He married and he came back to join his wife. He's an accountant, qualified. He's got a job. Two things I want us to pray. That God will bring their husband and wife and God should give them people who are truthful, not deceitful. People who they say to you is yes, sleep over it, it is yes. And people who love God and who are great achievers. Let's live over boys and pray. Everyone that is not married, both male and female, we pray for them. That Lord, you will bring to our women, their Adam, full of the spirit and wisdom, truthful, sincere, loving and caring, and established in this country. We pray for our men, that you will bring their wives too, filled with wisdom, successful, godly, Good mothers and established in this country. Father, we pray thee. Our Lord, we pray for direction for them. And that you will establish their purpose in this land. The Bible says, Jacob planted the same land and he flourished in the same land. That they will never choose wrongly. In Jesus' anointed name we are praying. Lord, I've asked you, people who have sicknesses in their body, that hinder family life. I cause such sicknesses to die. People who have habits that you hate, Lord, we ask for a transformation. Lord, people who are struggling in the area of finance, in the area of family life, that you will bring ease and manifestations for them. Understanding be deepened between husband and wife. 
Lord, rebellion be destroyed among the children to their parents. Lord, that you raise offspring for everyone here who love God, who submits to their authority and their parenthood. Men and women who are children, pure in heart, God-seeking. We pray that the devil will not be able to touch any of our offspring. And those of them that the enemy put his hand upon, let hell suck them in. Let the rot of heaven destroy those spirits. Those who have been shipwrecked by association, Lord, destroy those associations. May they be like night and day. May they never meet again. May you fulfill your purpose for the offspring of every member of this family. All the, uh, the PVM churches all over the world, we pray the same prayer for them. That as you bless us in this season, you will bless them too. You will bless the children in those churches. They will be the one that will take the baton from us. A great example for all nations. This we ask and thank you is done. As we ask in Jesus' anointed name. Somebody say amen. Somebody say amen. Jam your hands together for the Lord. Wow, I congratulate you for finishing this session's family clinic. Please, let's take our seats. I want to call Pastor Tal to come and take our offering and uh, lead us to closing too. Were you blessed at all? Make sure you get a tape. And the, the video section on Sunday, give me all the tapes. Can I ask you that you put, create templates in your video, your TriCaster, and uh, put in the address of Germany Church, address of Ireland, each church in Ireland, because I'll be talking about them on, from Sunday.